whether in Brentwood, Franklin, or online, we are delighted that you have joined us, and we are going to continue our study through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, and your phone, your tablet, whatever, please open that up to the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. As Bill taught us last week, getting ourselves in the context, verses 17 to 24, in that section, Paul uh, does two things. He, he begins with a personal exhortation. You'll remember this from last week. His, his personal exhortation is this, don't live like the Gentiles. What does he mean by that? Well, he means this, don't live your life like you lived it before Christ. Don't live like you lived when you didn't know Christ, when you hadn't trusted him. He moves from that personal exhortation, Bill said, to a theological explanation. What's the grounds for this? Well, the reason you don't live like you once lived is because you have put off the old self and put on the new. Now, what's really, really important to remember is putting off the old. And putting on the new, as Bill said, it's not something we do, it's something that God did the moment you believed. There was a time when you lived the old self, and then you came to put your faith in Christ. There was a time when you said, I believe, I'm trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that what he did, he did for me. And I'm trusting him. In that moment, you're born again. You see, and in that moment, the old self is put off and the new self is put on. Every believer. Before Christ, old self. In Christ, new self is on. It's done. But we struggle. And I don't know about you, you know, I go, well, then why? Do I look so much like my old self a lot of the time? Well, Bill explained this. It's because of that principle within called the flesh. Uh, Paul speaks about it often, but I'll give you a, a quick primer. When I say flesh, don't think flesh like, oh, your skin, blood, your body. No, that's not what he's talking about in the flesh. He's talking about uh, that principle Uh, of all that you were before you trusted Christ, all your bents and tendencies that you were before Christ. You understand, those things remain in our flesh. It's it's that principle that I'm going to do it my own way versus I'm going to depend on God. It's that constant pull towards, I can do it, self-sufficiency rather than dependency. Gang, that was in you in the womb. And that principle is still in us and will be till the day we die or Jesus comes back. It's the enemy within that is under the, how do I say this? The influence of the enemy without, the devil, whose purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. Paul's going to talk about him in just a moment. Well, he goes from the personal exhortation, don't live like your old self. And then he goes to the theological explanation because the old self has been put off and the new self has been put on. 
If I said it another way, I'd say it like this. Paul's going, walk more and more like your new self, who you are in Christ, not who you were before. Well, personal exhortation, theological explanation. Now he goes to practical application. Bill said that last week that I would pick this up, verses 25 to 32. Y'all, this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, This is like in your face in a way. This is like right up close. Hey, Paul, what does the new self look like? What does it look like when a Christian lives their new self? This, 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 and this. He gives us four very concrete, very tangible, uh, how do I say this? Um, Examples of uh, marks or characteristics of a worthy walk. So I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Uh, I'd like you to stand, if you would, as we read his word to to us today. Verses 25 to 32, Paul's words to us. Here are four marks of the worthy walk. I want you to look for this pattern as I read it, and I'll highlight it, okay? Uh, the whole pattern goes through as he names these four things. There's a negative, a positive, and a motivation. Sometimes he flips the negative and the positive, so it goes positive, negative. But it's, you know, don't do this, do this, here's why. Do this, don't do this, here's why. Do this, don't do this, here's why. He goes through four times. Watch it as I read it. God's word to us today, Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth to each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no more, negative, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, positive. Why? so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, negative, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, positive. Why? So that it will give grace to those who hear. And then the 30 to 32, I I take this as a summary statement of these things. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You can be seated. Paul gives us four very tangible marks of a worthy walk. I want to invite you, if you would, to pray with me as we seek to understand this text. Father, we know that in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to unpack more and more of this worthy walk. But here he begins with, it seems like, the big four. It seems like all other things we're going to talk about are related in some way to these four. And so by your spirit, would you help us to put our attention not on everything we can't think of right now, but on these four. It's not four things I would have picked, but your spirit has clearly 
pointed us here. Truth, anger, work, words. Truth. Laying aside falsehood, having laid it aside. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. Father, I have a confession to make. I am a really good liar. And it serves me well when I need to deceive or in a practical joke. But those who know me best, my wife, my kids, my closest friends know I'm a good liar. But here you say to lay aside falsehood. Truth, we know, is that which corresponds to reality. And truth is the basis for health, for life, for relationship. Jesus said to the religious leaders who killed him, he said to them, You are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And Lord, I'm mindful that the Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of truth. And the Holy Spirit who lives in us is the spirit of truth. And that in you, Father, there is no untruth. And so we pause. Mindful. At least for me, Lord, the good truths, the easy truths, the truths I want to say to someone that are encouraging, they come easier than the truths that are hard. The truths that actually do hurt in the hearing. The truths that are embarrassing. The truths about ourselves that we haven't spoken. The truths that address blind spots or pride. Those truths are much easier to avoid. And Lord, we would want to pause in this moment, in this text, and allow your spirit to actually search us and know us. And to ask ourselves, how truthful am I really Well, we know it matters because you say here we are members of each other. Tell the truth. We understand that the eye would never lie to the feet. That's not a cliff. Keep walking. No. That would harm the whole body. And Lord, we're mindful that in this church... 
when we fail to be truthful with each other, we harm ourselves and we harm your body. By your spirit, would you help us to live out this truth? And would you work it in such a way in our soul that you change us? From falsehood to truthfulness in all things. I did not see this next one coming, Lord. Anger. Be angry. I got that. Without sinning. Oh. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because you don't want to give the devil an opportunity. Lord, anger, no doubt, is one of, if not the most misunderstood emotion. But like all of our emotions, they're neither good nor bad per se. They simply are, and they are a reflection that we have been made in your image. And when we read your word, we find you get angry. And we ought to get angry at things that are wrong, at injustice, at suffering, at evil. 200 schoolgirls kidnapped in Nigeria and you're not angry? Reading the newspaper of man's inhumanity to man and, and we feel no anger? Lord, help us. Anger is that energetic emotion that moves us to do something about things that are wrong. I tend to agree with John Stott when he said, quote, There is a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. Father, would you grant us by your spirit more righteous anger that we would get up and we would speak and do those things that correct wrongs, even as you do. But there is an anger that arises in relationships that gets all whacked out. Confused and mixed in with pride and selfish ambition, anger that's fueled not by the spirit, but by the flesh. And when we're in that, we sin. We do. And sin means we miss the mark, and we do it. And mindful that Paul here is speaking of the church, and we'll sit with our church. Lord, we'll ask ourselves the question, am I angry at anybody in this church? Have I addressed that anger? Am I angry to the point of sin? Lord, it would be falsehood to think that at fellowship there are not some who are not angry at each other. Paul said, don't let the sun go down on that anger. Lord, if that means that we're not to to let a day in without having all anger resolved, then I stand up and tell you I can't do it. I've never done it. But if it means, as it seems it means, don't let anger fester. If it means, as the context tells us it means, don't let 
anger go on for days and turn to weeks. Don't give unresolved anger a long runway. Then, Lord, we can do that, but we need your help. Bottom line, help us deal with our anger with each other sooner rather than later. I am motivated when I see that when I don't do that, I'm giving the devil an opportunity. I'm actually creating a Petri dish for him to feed on and fulfill his agenda and purpose, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, we confess as a community of faith The sun has gone down on our anger between some of us. And we need you to help us to address it. You tell us to work. Where did, I I didn't see that coming. That you would choose, the spirit would choose to highlight work. As a defining mark of the worthy walk. Still no longer. Work what is good. Why? To have something to share with those in need. Lord, by the tenses Paul uses, we know that there were Christians in the church at Ephesus stealing. And we often say that we wish the church today was like the New Testament church. Well, it is. We do not begin to think that there are not some of us who are stealing. Certainly in principle, Lord, it's, it's putting in a full day's work at our work. It's doing work and not other things in our work, not taking from an employer. It's being truthful in all things in work. We see all that, but we're also reminded in this where you instructed Malachi to, set, to tell the nation that they had robbed you By not giving the prescribed tithes and offerings. And so now we see that stealing is not just about what we take that's not ours. It's about what we fail to give. And so I would say, yes, Lord, there are many in the thieve, many thieves in the room. And I'm one, truly. Be merciful, be kind, and by your Spirit, help us to walk in a way when not only are we not taking what's not ours, but we're giving. You say labor here is motivated by meeting the needs of others. I I, I cannot imagine a college graduate applying for a job And being asked, why do you work or why do you want to work? And then answering, because there are people in need and I want to have something to give them. That seems so foreign to our way. How many of us work as a means of provision, not just for our family? Lord, we know that's right and true. But just as right and true is that our work is a means of providing for those that don't have enough. There is no getting over my own selfishness 
apart from your spirit. So help me in work to do so for the right motivations. And finally, you tell us to pay attention to our words. No unwholesome words. Only words good for edification. Why, Lord? That they will give grace to those who hear. No unwholesome word. Unwholesome, it it means rotten. No rotten words. Lord, rotten words rot other things. Destroy. We've always heard the saying, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. And it turns out that science confirms what you made, and that is when an apple is ripening, it gives off a hormone that causes the other apples to ripen to the point of over-ripening, to the point of rottenness and no goodness. And Father, it seems that it's not just words, but it's every single word, singular. If a rotten word carries within it rottenness, it carries the capacity to damage and destroy. Every word has that. Paul says, instead, use only words that build up according to the need of the moment. According to the need of the moment. Father, that means that when we're speaking and interacting, that it's really not about me because if I'm going to meet a need with a word in a person for a particular moment... I need to know what they said. I need to hear their context and I need to know what is their need in that moment. And we are not bent to listen well. So we would ask that by your spirit, we would become actually better hearers because that's where better speaking begins. Paul says this word given when it's given having listened and meeting the need gives grace. That means it it actually produces in the heart of the hearer gratitude and joy. They are grace words. And so we see that from our mouth can come death words or grace words. And we're reminded what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. And it seems that we can take from that, Lord, that grace words not only spawn life in the hearer, but they simultaneously birth life and joy in in the speaker. Oh, that we would would be more, more like this in our church. May we give words of life. And it seems Paul is saying it means that we say less, say only the best, and say it with flowers. 
When I say I love you to Lisa, she smiles and she generally says, I love you too. But when I say I love you with flowers, she smiles, she sighs, and she moves toward me. Do the words that pass my lips carry the stench of death or do they carry the scent of grace? Do my words cause others to move toward, not away? Lord, we get this passage when Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The person of the Spirit who has feelings, who is grieved when we walk in an unworthy way. This is the very the very person who has sealed us, it says, for the day of redemption. That means the Holy Spirit is the one who says, it's going to be okay. He secures that. He ensures that in our end and in the end, it's going to be okay. That's the one we grieve when we speak falsehood, when we steal, when we speak death words. Holy Spirit, may we ask that you would help us, empower us to not grieve you. May we be dependent upon you to not grieve you. For it leads to bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. And when we put all of those together, we have a mixture of malice. Father, let us not take lightly that to hold the little bitterness, to build it to wrath and anger and clamor and slander, leads us to malice such that in our church there would be those of us who not only, not only want to get even, but we actually want to harm someone. That's where it goes, even amongst us. And we do not want to act like we're above it. And so we confess our great need for you to step in that we might not move to malice. Instead, we would live Paul's words, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Paul uses that familiar word harizomai or charis, how we pronounce it in the root. And, and, and it means grace. What's translated forgiving each other is truly more naturally translated be gracious to one another. And Lord, we know that when, when we're gracious, that includes forgiving one another. And so we have two words in front of us now, not hard to understand at all. Be kind and be gracious. Is this not the heart of our Lord Jesus? Who, when we are mean, 
when we turn our back. Father, when we ignore you, when we totally, purposely disobey you and all those things, Jesus, you, the Spirit, are toward us always and in every way and to the fullest extent, kind and gracious. May we, by your Spirit, be such to others. Lord, I'm reminded in in this text of what we talked about weeks ago. We can't live this life. And we pause this morning and we pray and we thank you that you don't expect us to live it, but you've enabled us by your Spirit that trusting in him, you will reproduce and live this life through us. That we can take steps of faith and obedience, trusting your power in us to produce your character through us. First to each other in this church and then to the world. May we, Lord, Speak truth because we belong to each other. Lord, would you grant us righteous anger? And would you grant that we could be angry without sin and not give the devil a foothold? May we work hard, labor, in order to have something to help others with. And may we say less, Say only the best and say it with flowers that our words, like your words to us, would give life. And in all things, may we grieve not the Holy Spirit. But we would, like the Spirit, like the Son, and like you, Father, be marked in all things by kindness and grace. We are asking you to do this on our behalf and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Now, some of you stayed with me. I don't doubt some of us, you know, wandered But we just prayed for 35 minutes. I can't think of a better use of time. I mean, look at the text, y'all. Stop lying, tell the truth. Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Work. And give grace words. I mean, we all, okay, we get it. But if it only remains here, I get it. We walk out of here and go, hey, four things. And it doesn't go here. See, it doesn't, it's not in us. It's of no avail. One of the best ways to move it from here to here is to pray it. 
and to trust God and ask, change me inside that I would live different outside. And my prayer is that me and you, listen, whatever the Lord spoke to you in that, we got to resolve things, whatever, that we'd keep praying it as we move forward. God bless.